Today's conversation is with Rich Kleiman. Simply put, Rich is one of my favorite people in sports. After working in the music business for a decade, managing artists like Wale and Meek Mill, Rich has spent the last eight years working with Kevin Durant as his manager and business partner. The two have started multiple businesses together, including The Boardroom, a media company at the intersection of sports, music, art, and culture, and 35 Ventures, an investment vehicle they have used to make over 75 investments in companies like Coinbase, Postmates, Whoop, Robinhood, and more. In this conversation, we discuss building a media company, how Rich evaluates potential investments, the impact San Francisco had on their deal flow, how athletes think about money, and what Rich would do differently if he had to start all over. This was an awesome conversation, and Rich has some incredible stories. I hope you enjoy it. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach. Monitor your recovery, sleep, training, and health with personalized recommendations and coaching feedback with Whoop. Train smarter, recover faster, sleep better, and now feel healthier with Whoop and their all-new Whoop 4.0, the latest, most advanced fitness wearable on the market. The all-new 4.0 is smaller, smarter, and designed with new biometric tracking, including skin temperature, blood oxygen, and more. The device also features an all-new smart alarm designed to wake you up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the day. Plus, it was designed with their new Anywhere technology, so you can wear it with their new Whoop Body Sensor Enhanced Technical Garments, boxers, shorts, compression tops, leggings, and more. Just remove the band from the device and slide it into your garment of choice, and you're discreetly tracking your daily activity with Whoop. I've been wearing Whoop for over a year now, and it's drastically improved the way I approach fitness and think about my recovery. Not only is the device comfortable to wear, the app packs a ton of health information into a simple display that's easy to understand. Get the all-new waterproof device for free when you sign up for Whoop 4.0 membership. For any members, if you have six months left on your membership, you can upgrade now and get the 4.0 for free. But here's the best part. Whoop is offering 15% off when you use code Joe at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter Joe, J-O-E at checkout to save 15%. Next up is Public Rec. Are you looking to upgrade your baggy sweats? It's time to check out Public Rec. Their best-selling all-day, everyday pant is the perfect combination of indoor comfort and outdoor style. Myself, along with thousands of others, are wearing these, and trust me, they live up to the height. Finally, a more stylish alternative to sweatpants that are way more comfortable than jeans. Now, your favorite lounge pants can also be your go-tos for work, happy hour, and the gym. After a year at home, they're definitely the pants you need, now that you need pants. Public Rec rarely discounts, but right now, they have an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Go to publicrec.com and use promo code HUDDLE, H-U-D-D-L-E, to receive 10% off. This episode is also sponsored by CoinCloud. Did you know you don't need a bank account to buy crypto? CoinCloud makes it easy to buy or sell Bitcoin and 30 plus other digital assets with their digital currency machines. It's the most convenient way to make a transaction. With thousands of machines across the country, there's no need to connect your bank account or wait in lines. Plus, they offer live 24-7 US-based customer support. Simply put, CoinCloud wants to make it easy for you to get involved in crypto. Get $50 off in free Bitcoin when you buy $200 or more at any CoinCloud machine and use the promo code Joe. You heard that right. That's free Bitcoin. For details, go to coin.cloud slash Joe. That's coin.cloud slash Joe. And don't forget to use promo code Joe for free Bitcoin. So Rich, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, so why don't we start with kind of just a little bit of your background? I think most people uh, know you uh, for your work with Kevin and the business you guys are building between the boardroom and 35 Ventures and now some TV production work. But how did you get into sports? I know you were in the rap game a little bit before. So maybe talk about how that started and then your transition into sports. Yeah, sure. Um, and thank you, Joe, for having me on, bro. You know, I'm a fan of yours. Um, 
I, I grew up in New York City, so I was kind of fascinated by sports and music and the energy at Madison Square Garden and the energy around hip hop. Um, I didn't finish college, so when I came home from school, I really was just looking at how to be entrepreneurial and how to figure out a way to get a seat at any table in any room that I wanted to be in and just to get a start. And I was fortunate enough to have a cool few opportunities when I was younger and was able to meet part of my network that's still with me today and really met these incredible people in the music industry at an early age and somehow ended up becoming a music supervisor. And in my early 20s, I was doing the music for a multitude of shows on ESPN and MTV. And the kind of like business that I built was to find unsigned artists and unsigned producers and find a place for them on television or in a documentary or a film and give them a little bit of money, but allow them to sit around the TV with their friends and their homies and show their name on credits. And that picked up some steam. And then I started managing some of the producers that I built into this library. And that kind of catapulted me into the music business. One thing that I never intended on doing was being in the studio, making albums. I loved music as a kid, but I wasn't by any means like swearing by my ear or claiming that I memorized liner notes the way I had memorized box scores and sports. That was my love. But the energy of the music business was really addicting, similar to like what I love around, about being around athletes. And I ended up in the music business. And it was that business that allowed me to meet Jay-Z and I produced his film Fade to Black. And soon as he gave me the opportunity to go to Rock Nation, everything I had done entrepreneurial up to that point in music and in music supervision, I was like, well, you know, all of this is cool, but this was to get to meet someone like this. Um, and then I went to work at Rock Nation. and. You know, from there, I figured out what it was I loved. I loved managing. I loved creating and building things, but I wasn't a music manager. Um, I loved sports, and I was able to kind of transition from having this pretty impressive roster of musical artists, but I knew in order to go into what I loved, I would have to stop and drop everything, and I did that at like 35 and moved into Rock Nation Sports where we started the sports agency. Um, and I was there up until 2016, and that's when Kevin and I started 35 Ventures. So take me through that transition, right? I think a lot of people uh, see or hear the age 35, right, and completely switching. And, and to be fair, sports and music are somewhat related, and you're kind of within the same house of Rock Nation, but they're also completely different, right? You're dealing with a whole new set of people, a whole new set of challenges, et cetera. What was that translation transition like from uh, music to sports? Well, in terms of like you said, in terms of my understanding of the business, the understanding of the culture and the world, I, I spoke the language and I grew up on sports um, and I understood it and I understood what it was like to manage talent and to, you know, to be a hands on present manager. And that thing can scale across any sector. So I knew that I had those things. What I realized quickly and was the reason why I got out of music altogether, because there was an argument that at that point in my life, you know, I had done so many things. I wasn't like uber successful. I wasn't uber wealthy or anything. I was really still grinding, um, but I had made a name for myself. I had managed DJs, you know, through the whole birth of like the celebrity DJ era and managed some of the biggest names. And, in that world and I was managing Wale and Meek Mill and Solange, these were household names, but they knew when I told them I was moving to sports, they knew because that was my life's passion. So I had that experience, but what I needed to do was reintroduce an entire network to who I was. And 
that when you're someone like myself is what my calling card has been. It's what I've prided myself on is like, I've learned through incredible people that I've met from asking questions with everybody I meet. I, I'll ask them exactly what's on my mind because I learned from every one of those conversations and I needed to build that equity again in the sports world. And even though now today they've kind of merged more than ever, this was 10, 11 years ago, the cultures were so like synergistic, but the businesses were separate and I needed to meet people. I needed to know who people were and understood how they moved in that world. Yeah. But that's one of the things that uh, you're so good at, right? Is like anyone I talk to, I always laugh because if your name comes up, oh, I know Rich, I know Rich, right? And, and and it's a good thing, right? It's obviously credit to you uh, for being involved in a lot of these situations and, and knowing a lot of people. Is that something that, is that just New York, right? Or is that uh, the music business or is that just something that you've grown into over time? I mean, it's all of it. When I was like that as a kid, um, I'm really curious. I really don't like to miss out on the experiences. You know, it's not that I... Um, ran around like a madman as a kid and, and you know, just went out meeting people at any cost. It was that I like really was focused on building this network of people, of being able to touch people and people to know who I was. And I think that like the energy around conversation, the energy around like these incredible talents that were coming out of New York was something that I wanted to be a part of. And that meant being in the clubs at night. That meant, you know, being in the studio. That meant traveling to go to an event in Vegas and, you know, someone gave me the word that I could go, I went. And, you know, I, I also am a fun guy, like, to be honest, like, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily go in with this attitude that, you know, like, everything is too serious. And, and I think people gravitate towards that. And I've really kept in touch with my relationships. I think keeping in touch with people is a big thing because, in order to really maintain a network, especially today in this like virtual world where you don't know when you're going to run into people, like if you don't really put the work in to stay in touch with someone and just, you know, give them a nod that you see what they're doing and, and not be afraid to just shoot them a text on like what you see or what you want or what you know, or just to say what's up, you're not going to be able to maintain these relationships. And for me, it's like, I take a lot of pride in that. And I like to be able to have somebody, you know, one, one call away from me at all times, no matter what it is, that I'm working on. And I, I feel really confident that I, I'm in a position to do that now. I do have a network, um, like I said, that I pride myself on. Yeah, and, and that's a good point because, you know, as I've started to build out more of this network myself, one, it's really difficult, right, to, to con continue and maintain these relationships with a lot of people. Uh, it takes real effort and real time and real energy, uh, but you never know what's going to happen, right? Like I've, I've stayed in contact with people and eventually we do business together. Maybe we don't. Maybe we're just friends. Maybe they introduce you to someone. Uh, but that's one of those things that I think a lot of people uh, value and you, you've certainly done well, right? So uh, kudos to you on that. But uh, let's go to, uh, let's, let's end at 2016, right? So you start the basketball stuff. You meet Kevin. Today, we're in a completely different world than we were in 2016, right? So so five years later, you guys have built this enterprise is what I'll call it, right? It's It's got media with the boardroom, uh, which is a sports business media uh, publication and website. And you guys have newsletters. You have all this stuff. You do production on movies. You have 35 ventures where you're investing in early stage companies and now moving out along uh, kind of the seed round. So take me through that transition. Was this something that you and Kevin met and you knew right away you wanted to do? Or was this something where you figured out kind of two, three, four years later, like, hey, we have a real opportunity to go build something big here. Like, let's go for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I had the fortune of meeting Kevin in 2007. So we didn't start working together till about 2011 or 12. So we were, 
friends and people that kept in touch and we had a good banter about basketball and you know and I knew friends of his I had met him through the artist Wale and I, I was very aware of like the DC culture and and the stories of all these guys coming up out of the DMV area so you know there was a bond there when he came over to work at to sign with Rock Nation it we had no vision we didn't even really have a clear vision in 2016 when we decided to really go and build something on our own. But what we did have was, again, this curiosity. So when we went to the Bay, you know, we were in the, the birthplace of Silicon Valley. We were in the center of it all at a really incredible time. And that curiosity, that ability to network and to meet people and to stay in touch and to build equity with these relationships and, uh, and to put the work in, you know, like I think the one thing that gets kind of forgotten is consistency and, and people that stick with it. You know, I'm 44. So like the last four or five years, I've been more recognized for my work than ever before in my life, but I've been doing this since I was 20 years old in some form or fashion. So, you know, when I got um, to Silicon Valley, I knew that it wasn't going to be like, yo, KD's here. He wants some deals that we might get doors open, but man, we all know that story already. A door opens and that's just a gift. But once that door opens, everything else has to happen, you know, and staying in that room and knowing how to finesse that room when you walk in that door and building real relationships and showing these people that you're really interested in learning and respectful of what they do. You know, I think that went a long way in starting the first phase of our business, which was investing in great companies, great founders and getting great visibility into like how the world was changing. And when we invested, it didn't matter if we invested 50000 or a million dollars. We were never going to give you Kevin's like public persona for warrants or for additional equity. That wasn't our business. We were real investors. We were going to invest our money and we were going to be strategic. So being strategic meant if you needed us to be more proactive, we would. More reactive, we would. If you wanted us to be passive and lean on our network and lean on our, some of our resources, that would be that too. But I wanted to build the reputation amongst founders that when we invest and we say we're strategic, it's not just our name in a press release that we work, you know? So I think that that really gave us the, the vision at that point to say, okay, cool. Like from here, we're seeing the way the world's going and, and we're getting our, our place in this world. Well, how did this happen? Like, how are we telling sports fans about this side of the sports business? And that kind of then birthed boardroom, you know? And then, I think all the other elements, like what me and Kevin do day to day and how I manage his life and his Nike business, that I've been doing for 15, 20 years of my life. And, you know, I think those kind of things are innate in me. I'm a manager first in my mind. Um, and then the TV and film stuff, I had been doing that for a long time. You know, I told you I met Jay-Z from Fade to Black, but it was venture and boardroom that really kind of like connected with us. And we got the vision for, as soon as we went to Silicon Valley with no vision, and just worked. And I think sometimes that sounds like the hard part for people, right? You want to have a big idea and a vision and, and snap your fingers and that comes true. Well, we really didn't have either. We just knew we wanted to build something special and we just went after. So what I'm taking from that is right, that uh, Silicon Valley and the Bay Area and, and San Francisco were extremely important kind of on the business front also, right? So he obviously uh, accomplished a lot on the court. They won championships, that whole deal. deal. Uh, but would you say that was instrumental in kind of starting and kicking off the business side of everything from not only an investing standpoint, but the storytelling also? Yeah. Oh, my God. Beyond. Listen, we were going to do it one way or the other, whether we were in Oklahoma City, New York City, Miami, because I believe in us. But 
the form that our business is in today and who we are, so much of it was built from our time in Silicon Valley. I mean, some of these people that I had the like opportunity to meet, like a Ron Conway or Lorene Jobs or Ben Horowitz and Chris Lyons, one of my closest friends that works for Ben Horowitz, all of these people have had such a huge part. Neil Mohan from YouTube, not only these people became real good friends, but these became people that really inspired and, and helped educate us as we built our business, you know, and even our experiences within the Warriors organization and seeing how Rick Welts ran his team and how the Lakers ran their team and meeting people on the Warriors cap table, all of that really just like sparked so much um, in the form of ideas and, and vision. And then the world was changing. You know, when, when you're, when you're capable or, and you're in the right place at the right time, if you don't take advantage of it, then that's on you. And I felt like, look, we went on our own. We went to this incredible city with this incredible organization. When KD won his first championship, I'll never forget it. We were in the Warriors locker room. He slapped the shit out of my hand. And he was like, I did my part, baby. Now let's go. We got to turn this business shit up. <laughs> like, oh my God, I thought we were. But it really like lit another fire. And, you know, I think that's the beauty of our partnership too. Yeah, that's amazing. That's an awesome story. The 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 thing I always uh, talk about is, you know, I, I talk about these investment deals and athletes and building their businesses all the time with people. And one of the common, I believe, misconceptions with the regular kind of business folk that they they see with their athletes is that anyone can do this, right? If you are uh, a big enough talent and you make enough money, uh, you have the ability to do this with anyone. And the problem that I have with that is they're right on one instance, I believe at least, which is that anyone will accept your call, right? So if Kevin uh, or any of these other big name athletes, Stephen Curry, LeBron James, you know, any of these uh, big pro athletes here in today's sports, call up an investor, a venture capitalist, someone like that. They'll answer their call, right? And they'll, they'll, they'll talk to them, they'll teach them, they'll do whatever it is. But it really only works well for the people that follow up on these things, right? And get aggressive and try to invest in companies and try to bring value and all of that kind of stuff. So off of the back of that, you guys obviously did a really good job of making these relationships. How did that happen from that initial call to like, hey, here's some deal flow. We're actually going to start investing together. These are the companies that I think you guys can add value to. How did that process go from not only like establishing the relationship to but be, being on the same cap table as some of these investors? Doing the work. Like, honestly, you know, like it, it sounds like there's a, a, a secret sauce, but there's not because like you said, you know, what an incredible platform and gift and blessing that I have that I get to, you know, manage and partner with one of the greatest athletes of our entire generation. Just like I had the privilege of working hand in hand with Mark Ronson when I was younger and being around some of the greatest musicians and artists. And I got to work with Jay-Z and be exposed to similar things in that capacity. You know, so I'm incredibly grateful for all of that. But like you said, you know, you got to do the work. You got to do the work. You got to do the work and you got to be good at it. And, and that's really simplifying it. But like, why shouldn't the roles that the business managers or managers play in these athletes' lives, you know, you got to look at that like any other business. You know, the opportunities that Kevin gave me are the opportunities. There's no taking that away. And the doors open and Katie's not just an incredible athlete. He's an incredible businessman. He's got an incredible instinct and, and he's good at this. But the truth is, is like, don't take away from what LeBron and Steph and Kevin and Tom Brady's teams are doing. Like it ain't really that simple. Um, you can't take away from what Jay-Z's team has done. It's not just because of Jay-Z or what Puff Daddy's done. Like we know that we know better than that, right? Like we've all seen this. There's no way an organization can succeed on that level. 
So, you know, the only difference, I think, from what you were saying is Kevin Durant can do it with anybody if he picks the right people to do it with. Um, you know, and in that case, I was very fortunate. Yeah, and and I think it's uh, it's it's fortunate to one degree, but it also speaks volumes to you because I think if you talk to any of these athletes, right, that are in the headlines, their name gets thrown around because they're they're the big name, they have the big platform. They first always credit their team, right, and they know that none of this is possible without that group of people. Uh, so so I, I give her a lot of credit to you because I don't think you know he's obviously done an incredible job from a recognition standpoint and becoming one of the greatest athletes ever, but on a business front. A lot of this, a lot of this uh, is is somewhat out of his hands, right? Because he just doesn't have the time or any of that kind of stuff. So uh, certainly a lot of credit to you on that. But let's run through kind of the enterprise that you guys have built, right? So uh, in my mind, it's a few different pieces. One being 35 Ventures, which you guys talked about starting um, when, when you were in the Bay Area. And then the boardroom was born out of that. Was the boardroom just an idea of, hey, how can we further the storytelling and help our investments? Or was that seeing kind of a niche within the sports business space that you wanted to exploit? Um, the, the latter, it was seeing an, uh, a kind of white space, which is that like when I looked at, um, the digital media brands in hip hop and in music space or streetwear space, you're talking about the hype beasts and complexes. They may have been birthed around street culture or sneakers, but hip hop is what really drove those brands. What put those brands on the map and encompassing of that was all of those things, fashion, art, sport, everything. We looked at sports and like the world around sports and the culture around sports. It did not look like any of the traditional sports business publications or the coverage that traditional sports publications gave to business or gave to, you know, the wheelings and dealing around the sports world. And I also think it was just starting to be uncovered. Like we heard about people investing in venture and films and TV being made. We heard about, LeBron in Liverpool or, you know, people like Junior Bridgman who had had tremendous entrepreneurial careers after like a, you know, a, a somewhat average basketball career. I don't even know if Junior Bridgman was better than that, to be honest. Um, but what you didn't know was how all this shit was happening, you know, and, and where it was going and who was in these rooms and how the deals were being done. No one understood what fanatics and Michael Rubin were. No one understood about the real culture around the trading card world and where it was headed or what was happening in cannabis and crypto as it related to the sports world. And, you know, you see during the pandemic that these things just merged, like people's obsession with Robin Hood and, and crypto stocks, no different than the energy around people gambling on football on Sundays, same thing. And you see the, you know, same type of kind of like wheeling and dealing and, um, glamorizing of like the new brand that supports this athlete or the new building that was built on this campus. And we couldn't get enough of it. So it was kind of this thing of like, well, if I'm just this casual sports fan or casual kind of business uh, reader, I don't even know what any of this means. Like this is an entire culture being built around sports, like as big a medium as we have. And no one really knows what it means. It's not concession stand deals and, media rights, streaming deals. It's like, it's bigger than that. It's the things that we're seeing every day. Um, so that was the original kind of vision. And, you know, I could never have expected that this world that we were living in was going to absolutely just explode, you know? And you know, you're as big a kind of like voice of it as anybody. And the fact that you've turned this like monstrous Twitter audience and newsletter business 
from writing about that like white space. You don't write the boring shit that we've read forever. You're writing about the same cool ass stuff and you see how much people love it. And your fans are people from the music industry. They're athletes, they're businessmen and women, they're casual fans of sports and entertainment. So I saw the same thing, you know, and I'm giving it to people in all these different formats, but the lifestyle around it, that like boardroom mentality, that boardroom university is that like, I dropped out of college with not one credit and look what I've been able to achieve for myself being around sports. Cause I love basketball and football that much and sports that much. So there's so many young people and sports fans that should be able to get the same visibility into this. And, you know, I think we've proven that model right. And I think the reaction and the kind of like amount of interest there's been from founder, from athlete to be down with what we're doing has really given us like more confirmation that this is like our baby. And, you know, the venture fund has just been so complimentary to it. Yeah. The, the one way I like to think about it, and it sounds like you do also, is there's kind of the traditional sports and the sports business people uh, that think about it in, in one way. And that's not a wrong way at all, right? That's just tr traditionally how it's done. But there is a huge category of people that has continued to grow, especially over the last year that you mentioned, that care about a bunch of ancillary things around that, right? So outside of sports business, uh, there's actual you know equity markets, venture capital markets, there's art, there's culture, there's sneakers, there's everything, right? And if you can morph all those things together, there's a huge opportunity to build platforms that the new fans care about, right? That the millennials care about, that the new generation cares about, uh, whether it's newsletter, Twitter, podcast, et cetera, right? And I think you guys have done a really good job on that front because you have the newsletters, you have the podcast network, right? And this is all complementary to the venture investing that you're doing. You're able to tell those stories and talk about those companies in all of those things. So I, I guess my question on that would be like, you've done this a while, right? We talked about it before you were in the music business, you've worked with other, uh, you know, celebrities and athletes and all that kind of stuff and been around them more importantly. The story back in the day was that everyone's going broke, right? The, the CNBC rolled out these stats, you know, 60, 70, 80% of athletes are going broke within five years of leaving. Uh, and I think it scared a lot of people. And to your point, there was no one going out there and saying, no, 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 no. look at these deals. These are the ones that are happening. These are the backroom deals. These are the, the, the venture capital deals that are happening and some of these guys are doing. So a lot of that was kind of pushed under. That narrative, in my opinion, at least has changed a lot. I think uh, with, with the rise in the popularity of not only Twitter and these platforms, but really just information. So the ability to get this information out for people to be knowing about it, for people to care about it, et cetera, has uh, really gotten bigger. So how has that changed in your mind, right? And I mean changed from 15, 20 years ago when you first started in this business to today on athletes actually investing, going to look to grow their capital, starting businesses instead of just taking endorsement deals. The guys that you're around and the women that you talk to on this stuff, has it changed in your mind or are we just slowly getting better at it? No, I think we changed a while ago. And I think now what you're seeing is pretty universal around sports. You're going to get a pretty astute business mind at 17, 18 years old. You know, if you're going to play sports professionally at every level, I think because of this ongoing stereotype and all of the conversations around that, we've actually changed it completely. You know, for me, when I meet some of these young athletes, I had a phone call with Zaire Williams, like maybe two, three months ago, kids 17, 18 years old. And we were talking venture and we're going back and forth. And he sounds as fluent in venture as anyone I meet day to day. And he's 17, 18 years old about to play in the NBA. And what these kids are aware of, exposed to, uh, you know, the opportunities that are in front of them, they're kind of wherewithal to know at that age, okay, I got to, 
one way or the other, I'm going to have to pick a, a business manager and I may have to pick my own agent. And my parents are telling me I should go here. And my AU coach may think I should go here, but I really want to lean in with this guy or I'm going to choose who my parents tell me. All of these are decisions none of us have to deal with at 17 or 18 years old. I didn't even know how to write a check. Yeah. I remember the first time I had to write a check, I had no idea. So when I was probably 19, 18 years old, like I hadn't even seen one. So to think about what these kids know about and what they're exposed to, and then on top of it, what kind of brands they're building for themselves, some of them starting at 13, 14 years old, utilizing social media and their direct relationship with their audience. I mean, they're so far ahead of most people their age. And so I think that, you know, the stereotypes should change completely because it, it has changed completely. Yeah. And, and one real example of this that I'll, I'll share, and I won't tell the, the athlete's name because I don't know if they're comfortable with it or not, but uh, an NFL player who's very well known, most people would know him. Uh, he's looking to do a, a, a crypto deal, right? So he wants to be sponsored by a crypto platform. He's super interested in it, et cetera. And the, the conversations went far enough to where they were offering him a deal. Uh, and they asked him if he wanted to you know, be paid in cash. And he said, no, he wanted to be paid in Bitcoin. Uh, and part of it was, which I was kind of, I thought it was super interesting to hear because it wasn't just, hey, I want to be paid in Bitcoin so the marketing goes really well and we can get a lot of exposure and people write about it and talk about it, which is one part of it and which I think we've seen with some athletes. But he said, look, I have this massive portfolio, some of its equities, some of its venture, some of its real estate, et cetera. I want to, I want to get my crypto portion up. And this is a deal that gives me the ability to do that without going and investing any additional capital that I have currently in my bank account. So I thought that was a, a really unique situation because... I don't think the average person thinks that athletes are talking about stuff like that. And I don't think that they're thinking about their portfolio as like sizing it to different investments and all this type of stuff. So it just goes to show as, as a concrete example of some of these athletes and how they're thinking about uh, not, not only their portfolio, but their long-term vision for success financially. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're hundred percent right. I think that, you know, you can see this really across all sports. I mean, I'm sure there's exceptions to it, but you know, I think you see it with some of these young tennis players, uh, some of the things they have to deal with and some of the things they have to take on on their own. Uh, you see it with some of these young Olympic athletes. And these are people that are dealing with things that, you know, it comes with having this incredible gift and this incredible platform. But these aren't regular things that, you know, we dealt with at 17, 18 years old, no matter what kind of upbringing you come from. But I do think that, you know, I, I think that the one thing that, was always happening was that the people that pick bad people in their life, that's going to happen to you no matter what. So yeah. you know, I also think that some of the bad people aren't necessarily around as much. And I'm not, you know, identifying any one group of people or not. I'm just saying there was people obviously that took advantage of athletes. And I think now a lot of those people are gone because I think that athletes are way more aware and way more astute and so well-informed and so entrepreneurial that, you can't come with that bullshit, you know, like yeah. for the most part, you're going to get exposed and, um, you know, and, and deservedly so. But, you know, I think the one thing that has happened with Borden, which I'm excited about with all of this is in the last two or three years, this is no longer like a white space in the sports business world. This is mainstream conversation. You know, you go to CNBC in the middle of the day, you're hearing about the things we're talking about now while the market updates are on. So, you know, for me, as soon as we saw that change, we were in it. We were sitting in the middle of this space. We knew. Um, and we turned up the, the, you know, we put our foot on the gas and said, we got to cover more and more and more of this. There's nothing we're going to miss. Venus Williams is launching her new 
plant protein shake. We're going to talk about, we're going to figure it out. We're going to figure out the angle. The Nets are showcasing a Basquiat that's going at Christie's at auction. We're going to tell that story. F1 and the NBA partnering, we tell that story. We may also profile Jessica Holtz, an agent at CAA. Or we may talk to ASAP Rocky now because the worlds are so intertwined. We're going to do a profile on what an incredible business he's built. And you don't even realize it, but we're still talking about sports. That's how I see it. It's all rooted in this culture. So when people are looking at the Forbes 40 under 40 list, or the Forbes most powerful people in sports, I think in three, four years, they're going to be saying that about our boardroom list. You know, that's where I'm at with it now. So I think the conversation that you're having, that we're having, is actually mainstream conversation now. Yeah. So, and for some people that may not be as familiar with the boardroom, tell us a little bit about kind of where you guys are at now and where you see it going in the future. Well, if you're not familiar with it, then I don't even like you. Get out of here. <laughs> they should be. No, but basically, you know, this is a digital media brand. So everything lives at boardroom.tv. We have a full editorial team. We're constantly banging out articles, profiles, breaking news, we have three newsletters, Boardroom Breakers, which covers more of the kind of emerging tech and business around sports. We have our Boardroom traditional one, which is more of a kind of curated newsletter of all of our content and all of our offerings. And we have Headline to Go, which is more of our kind of customized headlines on the run daily. So, you know, everything going on within the world of what we believe is, you know, the boardroom world, the sports, business, technology art, fashion, and we give you those headlines every morning. We have two podcasts, Kevin's Pod, et cetera, is mine out of office. Um, and we're doing another conference with Overtime in the fall, launching our merch in the winter. So, you know, it's a brand we feel incredibly passionate about. We're going to add more and more programming. We have a handful of short-form video series. Um, so there's really nothing we're not covering at this point, and you can find everything on boardroom.tv. Yeah. And, and the one thing I would say, and this is what I tell most people about the boardroom is that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there's a traditional space in sports business. And I think it's people that have uh, reporters, they're chasing sources, they're trying to talk about the next TV deal, the next streaming deal, uh, what personalities are going to be on ESPN, et cetera. Right. And to me, there's, there's an audience built in for that, right? There are people that care about that. It's people that work in the sports industry, uh, maybe some, you know, people that care about the TV side of it, et cetera. But where the boardroom operates and where I try to operate personally is kind of in between those two worlds, right? Which is the ability to talk about that stuff and have a really good knowledge base, but also the ability to transfer into the the, the world of culture, which we'll call it, right? Which is the boardroom. You'll see, you'll, you'll see you guys on, on social media or in the newsletter, you'll talk about uh, the new sneaker deal for someone, right? You'll talk about the Bas Basquiat or however you say it. I don't know how you're saying it over there, but uh, you'll, you'll talk about art. You'll talk about all that kind of stuff. So that that's a really good avenue to be in. And I think it's going to get really, really, really big because a lot of these mainstream publications have ignored it for so long, right? And with the internet now, the ability to see that information and all of it is go is out there. These athletes are talking about their investments. They're talking about all this stuff. So I think it's a really good spot to be in. Uh, and I always tell people that the two podcasts you guys operate are some of the best there is. I love those. Uh, th th they are fantastic. So uh, I'm a big fan. But let's talk about a couple of the investments real quick, right? You guys uh, have made a name for yourself uh, when it comes to investing specifically. The boardroom, fantastic. You guys are building a great business. Uh, I think a lot of people know it and respect it and all of this kind of stuff for it in the digital media space. I think a lot of that uh, came off of the investing front and how successful you were there on the start. So on the investing front, 
Uh, you, you probably know many more of these than I do. But in the news, you guys, I believe, have invested in 75 or more companies at this point. You'll do anything from early stage to later. Uh, and the check size is getting bigger and bigger uh, as you guys have gotten bigger and bigger and see more success. So Coinbase, Postmates, Dapper Labs, Dutchy, a bunch of others, a uh, bunch of unicorns, multi-billion dollar valuations on these deals that you guys got in early on. I assume uh, you guys see a lot of deals just from the nature of your success, but also kind of the exposure that you can offer these companies. What is that vetting process like? And then just talk me through kind of how you guys decide what deals to actually invest in. Yeah. Um, well, by the way, one thing you mentioned, which is completely accurate, is it was very deliberate to use what we did in the venture world as a real marketing tool to building our platform. So I appreciate you noticing that because um, it was thought out and it was done in lieu of trying to go raise big rounds to build it because I didn't want to do that. I wanted to operate it within our business. In terms of investing, look, we've, we've like I said, we went over how I kind of worked with Kevin to build deal flow and then you show up and you do the work and you'll get more deal flow and you stay in touch and be strategic and be reactive and proactive and you're going to get more deal flow and you know, and if you've got Kevin Durant by your side, you're going to get more deal flow. You add all those things up and you're going to get more deal flow. Um, that being said, we built this team around us. And we built the platform we talked about and I hired a great group of people around me that, you know, similarly didn't have the experience, so to speak, in venture. But I knew that they were the right people to be next to me and looking at what we were doing in venture, just like I had no experience in it. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we're seeing deals in early stages and the rounds are sometimes set a lot of times set by the lead but we go off our gut and instinct man honestly like we analyze deals but we go off our gut and instinct and you know i think anyone that's doing early stage deals and meeting founders and hearing concepts and hearing their go-to-market strategies and hearing their kind of incredible stories of how they got there you have to make a decision based on instinct and you know for me we're writing checks anywhere from 250 to a million dollars, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. Like, I got to go off instinct. And I bet you most great VCs are going off instinct. Um, and I don't know what that is for us, but when Kevin and I talk and we go through a deal, or our team of Rachel and crew here go through a deal, we're looking at it. We're looking at, you know, what kind of relationship we have with the founder. Do I think this founder is going to win? You know, straight up, do I think this founder is going to win? Do I think um, the business model is viable? Have they checked every box of all the traditional questions I have to ask? Of course, we're going through that process. But when we're really talking and I'm visualizing their business and understanding how they're building their business, you'd be shocked at listening in on some of the questions I ask because I'm just like rapid fire asking things, you know, that really connect and unlock the next question. And sometimes they sound stupid and they're not what you would hear from most probably VCs asking, but there it's our way of doing it, you know? And then from there, we make a decision as a group, Kevin and I always talk right before, but you know, we go off our gut and our instinct and, you know, we're fortunate to have great deal flow. So it makes those decisions a little bit easier. Yeah. And uh, so one of the things I found that is interesting is you guys are not just writing small checks like you mentioned before anymore, right? It's it's as you guys have grown in the success, the check size has not only gotten bigger. You guys are doing uh, later stage deals. So it's not just kind of early seed investing, uh, but you guys are also doing like add on equity. I believe the SeatGeek deal, you guys uh, gave them some capital to, to access that. Uh, so my question would be like, 
Are you guys going to eventually make 35 Ventures much bigger? Are you going to raise additional capital? Are you going to continue to invest personal capital with Kevin? Uh, kind of what's the vision there? Well, um, the SeatGeek deal was a little bit of an anomaly. You know, they're, they're, I know the founder very well. They're partners of Brooklyn Nets. And I just felt like that was a, the right deal for us. It's not necessarily like our deal strategy to look at pipe investments. But, you know, I think um, we will raise outside capital. Um, in what form we do it next year, I'm not sure. I am raising a strategic round for boardroom right now. Um, I'm hoping it's the only round I ever have to raise for it. And then in terms of venture, like I'm not going to raise a traditional LP fund, but I will raise some vehicle to invest outside capital and write bigger checks in the next year or two and find the perfect group of people that respect our process, are complimentary, and kind of want to take this ride with us. Um, but, you know, I think for the most part, we'll never go raise half a billion dollars to invest in venture because it's not necessarily going to be our business model ever because there's so many things we're doing within 35 ventures and investing is always going to play a major part in it. and there may be a time where it's a focus but right now it's part of a handful of things that we're doing and they all help one another so i think it's it's important that i stay really focused on the kind of investments we do and raise a certain fund that remains very much like agnostic and complementary to so many partners yeah. So I got two more for you, then I'll let you go here. Uh, one of them would be you guys, we've talked about this, right? You've, you've done the venture, you've done the digital media, you've done the shows. Is there anything that you're looking at for next, right? Like saying, Hey, look, this is a category we really want to get into, whether it's, you know, the boardroom 35 or something completely different. Um, in the short term, I definitely want to go deeper into the weed business. Um, and we will, I also, you know, I'm really focused on, this next uh, era of Kevin's Nike business and how incredible like the last 14 years have been. The guy's got an incredible kind of um, catalog now, signature shoes, and there's just so much potential for the future there. Um, and then, you know, I think in, in the long term, obviously being a part of, a, of an NBA team and being able to play a part in running an organization for both Kevin and I is like dream. Um, and I think Kevin obviously can do it, but how we do it and, and what time we do it, I don't know, but that's a long-term goal. And in the short term, like really just continue to stay locked in. We have so many things we're doing. You know, there's, there's Just Women Sports, which is a media network that we invested, um, a, you know, a nice size check for us in. There's another company, Stash, that we're partners with Steve Stout on, uh, e-commerce um, and brick and mortar business that we're looking to grow in the next few years. And then, like I said, you know, potentially diving into the brand business on the cannabis side, but, you know, boardroom and our investment portfolio and KD, you know, the, the, the empire that is KD, that's still the drivers. I would love to see you guys own a team. <laughs> that, that would be, uh, that would be amazing. Cause I think that's also a flipping for a lot of people also, right. Is like, a-Rod just bought uh, or is going to be a co-owner of the Timberwolves. Uh, LeBron, it certainly seems like him and his team are gearing up for doing something eventually, whatever that might end up being. I know, you know Kev Kevin and yourself obviously have that aspiration also, and I know a lot of other players would love that. But I think in, in the fans' mind, it's just wild to hear uh, kind of a player that has played relatively recently uh, and, and is currently playing in your guys' case uh, – 
talking about actually owning a franchise, right? So I think the world has certainly changed in that aspect. Um, but okay, last question would be, I get hit up all the time, I'm sure you do too, uh, relative to people that are just starting out in this business, people that want to get into sports or sports business or, or more of the business side. Um, I, I get DMs all the time, I get emails, et cetera, people just looking for advice on this topic. I won't ask you for advice because I think a lot of people uh, have covered that and talked about that and, and everyone kind of gives some form or fashion of it. But if you were to start over, right? And you were 20 years old uh, or whatever it is, 21 years old, and you had to, and you knew everything that you knew now, but you had to start completely over. What would you do? I stay in school. Yeah. Because the, in my mind, the entrepreneur that I am has been wired in me since I was a kid. I was starting any business I could as a kid. I was obsessed with my father's like briefcase and him going to work and just loved it. I loved all of the people that ran the stores, ran the McDonald's on my corner. I just loved it. The Burger King, I mean, um, you know, but the idea that like I needed to go after all that by leaving school, I would do that again, you know, because man, having an education with that would have made the first 20 years of my ride easier, you know, and, and I think I would have felt more confident earlier on. And I think that, you know, when you don't go to school, you get older and I bet you, I'd love to talk about this with other dropouts if anyone wants to call me, but uh, you realize the holes in your education. You do You get older and you realize the things you didn't learn. And that's why we have a school system. And, you know, I think I've learned these things now. And obviously like the internet has allowed me to just deep dive and you know, I'm very well schooled now in my opinion. I'm, you know, traveled the world and I've researched things that were important to me, but the discipline of finishing college and just having that education would have been priceless. So I, that's the only real regret. See, it's funny hearing it from someone who wishes they had done that, right? Because in my view, uh, the education I've received after college has been 10 times the value of what I got in college, right? So uh, I'm sure there's some kind of, you know, retrospect there from both of us. But also, uh, it's interesting because the real world experience, just like conversations like this, and, you know, you going to dinner with people, talking to people, working on deals, right? Just any of that kind of stuff uh, is invaluable. And any kind of experience in my mind that you can get yourself into early on that side, like just putting yourself out there in the music business, signing artists, doing all these deals, right? Like that probably provided an insane level of knowledge base for you that you may not have even thought about at the time, which is, uh, which is always interesting to look back on. Yeah. Well, well, I don't regret how it's all worked out, but what I will tell you though, is, is I do think that it didn't hit me till I got older, why that part of my life would have been important. And it's not that there's anything practical that I would have gotten from school to put to use in my work life, but there's a certain discipline and a certain focus that you need to finish school, period. And anybody that does it, and most of the people we know do it, so it's not something that's like a rare skill, but it's something that you have to finish. The fact that I didn't finish, and I wasn't disciplined enough to finish and get it done, that's really more of what I mean, because yeah. that still would have been really crucial earlier on. And I harnessed it and got it later on. And I work now, and I finish now. But there was this feeling earlier on in my life of like not needing to finish or not needing to show up or thinking you could cut a corner and that you can't do, you know? So if somebody drops out of college and has like, if my kids come to me and say, we don't want to go to college, but they have a real concrete plan on why they're not going to go to college. I'm going to support that. To be honest, my wife may not agree with that, but I'm going to support that because I believe in that 
kind of trajectory. What I don't believe in is like schooling for me and just doing it the way I did it. Cause I don't think that's, you know, that that's not a, um, that's not an intelligent bet because time is on your side. And I think when you're young, you realize it's not. And when you get older, it's not, but when you're young, it is. And when you speed that up or try to cut that corner, it doesn't always help. Yeah. The, the, the part I would say against that is you seem like you're doing uh, pretty all right for yourself. You've built kind of one of the uh, most impressive businesses on the, the sports side that I've seen uh, relative to all professional athletes globally. So credit to you and Kevin for putting in the work because to your point, you don't get anything easy, right? And, and whether you're a professional athlete or not, uh, or, or teamed up with one, this stuff is hard and it's hard to build businesses. It's hard to get revenue. It's hard to make good investments, right? So uh, credit to you for realizing maybe some shortfalls in the past, but also building an incredible business. So uh, that, that's great. Lastly, before we leave, where can I send people to find more uh, about the boardroom, about you? You're on Twitter. You, you come on Twitter every once in a while. You're not super active and then you just drop bombs where you just make a good joke about the Knicks or something else. Uh, and, and I, and I'm showing it to my brothers over here and I'm dying laughing. So, uh, I recommend Twitter, but where can they find more about the boardroom and 35 and all that? Well, I mean, I honestly would be on Twitter more. I don't, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. I don't even have a good social media like flow. I'm not, I, I wish I was better because I think that like I could totally showcase kind of my personality on Twitter if I wanted. I don't know how to do it. Well, it's time consuming too. It's time consuming. And it's like, you got a million different things going on. And then every once in a while, it feels to me like you come up with like a good one in your head and you're like, all right, I need to get this out on Twitter, which you should do more often because they're usually pretty good. I appreciate that. Um, Yeah. I mean, that is exactly it. But I think, you know, boardroom.tv is everything boardroom. And then from there you can you know, go to our pods, go to our newsletters, read our editorial, our social properties are always fun, as you know, but uh, boardroom.tv and, and 35ventures.com is a home for everything we do. Great. Great. Um, all right, Rich, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Hi, man. Thanks, Joe. I'll talk to you guys.